Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and they grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Good to see everyone, and uh, I just see over here to my right, I see the Krajewski family who uh, had moved away, but they're here this morning. Could y'all just wave? There they are. It's good good to see you guys. I'd let you preach, but that wouldn't be good, so I'm not doing that. Anyhow, well, welcome everybody. Welcome everybody online. Uh, Welcome everybody podcasting. This feels a little hot, Everett. You want to back that up just a tiny bit? That would be helpful to me. And uh, we're delighted to have everybody here. Um, And can we thank our band? Golly, the worship, right? Woo! Man. Uh, I was away last weekend, so I celebrated birthday last week. I'm cresting the hill, everybody. I'm getting close to the hill. I'm not even going to tell you, but it's there. It's, it's happening, whatever hill that is. And uh, so we weren't in worship. And so for me to be back this morning and, uh, man, the band, God, that was just so meaningful. I need it. How many of y'all feel like right now in this season, this dry season, that's just like rain on a dry grass, right? Amen to that. So, yeah, go ahead. Give it up for them. So grateful uh, for them. Hey, before we get started, I'm so pumped about what I want to share with you today. Before I do, though, I want to, I want to kind of call out real quickly about Easter. We're talking about Easter. It's two weeks away. Say that out loud. Two weeks away. Can you believe that? I, I don't know where the year is already gone. It's moving ahead. And I want to remind everybody, so what we're doing this year, Easter, similar to kind of what we did at Christmas, we're going to do indoor outdoor and online. We're trying to create an environment where you would feel comfortable to worship in whatever way that you uh, feel comfortable. So we're going to begin out west here at seven o'clock, right out here to the west. We're going to have a uh, Easter sunrise service at seven o'clock. That's BYOB. That's BYOC, not BYOB. BYO, bring your own chair and uh, that's going to be at 7 o'clock. We have some services uh, that will be happening in here. Uh, and let me just tell you what those service times are, 9, 10, 30, and noon. Watch for that, 9, 10, 30, and noon. And then uh, over on, on our East Campus, we've got services. And let me just tell you, we've got this online experience. So many of you all know, uh, you gave very generously. We're building a studio on our East Campus. We decided uh, earlier this year, I was talking with Keith and the worship team. We said we're going to experiment. Uh, a lot. And so here's what we are doing uh, on the online experience. We have filmed it on location in a different place. It is so good. If there was ever a year to double dip Easter, this is your year. (laughs) Double dip. So like come to one of the services, but you're not going to want to miss out on this online experience. I'm pumped about that. And hey, I do want to say to you this. I want to say that, um, you know, we're not going to have our normal crowds. Most of our church is still online. We're having good attendance, but it's all in attendance. But I want to remind you that Easter is always a little different. It won't be like normal Easter where it's a zillion people, but it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of people and it's going to be hard to social distance. So if you're nervous about social distancing, you're going to want to, I want to shout that out. That's you're going to want to think about that, okay? Some of you are looking at me right now like we're not social distancing right now, but 
That's another thing, okay? So just I want to make sure you're aware of that. Uh, just want to uh, make sure everybody's comfortable in this uh, space. Hey, um, so grab your app, if you will. Grab your Bible. We're in a series we're calling Descending into Greatness. Say it with me. Descending into Greatness. And here's what we're doing in the series. We are exploring the enormity of the impact Jesus made with his life and how his life transcends the normal order, the normal trajectory of things. Uh, I've been saying it this way. We've been exploring, if you will, some of the unconventional or the conventional things about Jesus, you know, about his sacrifice, about his life, about how we lived and all of that. We've been doing that, but we've also uh, are, are thinking about some of the unconventional things that Jesus has done. So we're doing a lot of learning uh, right now uh, in this series, and in particular, we are exploring what Jesus' life teaches us about humility and servanthood. How many of you, by example, would raise your hand and go, we could stand for some more humility in our world? Come on, right? How many of you would say we could use some more servanthood in our world, learning how to serve our neighbors? This is the kind of thing that we're talking about. We're taking some cues. We're learning from the life of Jesus, and we're using uh, really as our guide as our marker, if you will, we're using the words of the Apostle Paul that he wrote in Philippians chapter uh, 2. And uh, these are some of the most uh, in beautiful words about the life of Jesus. One scholar says these are the most Christologically formed words that we would ever understand about actually the enormity of what Jesus has done for us. Scholars continue to look at these words as hallmarks for us, and uh, we're taking our cues from these words. Now, here's a little uh, life hack, a little preacher hack. Uh, I build these series around a particular passage of Scripture, and then here's what I want you to notice. I'm going to reveal to you what I'm doing. I'll have us look at it every week. Why? Because I want you to get these words in your soul. I want these words to, to be familiar territory for you. And so we're, we're looking over them. We're reading them together. We're going to do it again today. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 5, read down to verse 11. And uh, I want you to notice how Paul teased this up again. If you haven't noticed, Philippians 2 verse 5. In your relationships with one another. So what Paul is actually setting in motion is he's saying, every human relationship that you have, Think about how Jesus engaged in the dynamic of his relationship with his heavenly father. So he says in verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now here's the mindset. Watch this. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Paul writes, Jesus made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, now notice here, we always say this, like when you see the word therefore, it's connecting what he just said to what he's about to say. Therefore, he says, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. 
You know, Lord, it's an amazing thing for us to consider that what Paul wrote so many years ago uh, in prison, uh, under hardship, uh, that we would be reading now some 2,000 and some odd years later, and we, we would be talking about, uh, still yet, your life, Jesus. What you modeled, what you gave us an example for, what what we in our better moments even might aspire toward. And we're deeply challenged today, God, when Paul would say, you know, have, have this in mind in all the relationships that you have. People you know, people you barely know, people you don't know. Have this in mind. And Lord, we would tell you this morning, um, we're challenged by that, and we feel the weight of that, and we would tell you, God, we struggle with that because we know our own hum- humanity. We know our own limitations. So I really believe there isn't a person within the sound of my voice or the person whose voice is speaking who is outside of the challenge of these words. And so, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you say and do fresh things in our lives today so that our lives would would mirror more closely what you call us to. This we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Now, uh, this weekend, or what we've been doing, uh, I, I have shared, is that we have been looking at why Jesus came, who he claimed to be, what he did, and how he did it. And uh, this weekend, what I want to do is I, I want to talk about the where of where he did it. And I want to talk about his descent into greatness and how far that descent went. And I want us to focus and concentrate for a few moments this morning on the cross, on the cross. And I want to draw your attention right at the very beginning because Paul, if you'll notice, he gives it some special uh, focus in verse 8, and, and I'm going to ask our team to put verse 8 on the screen, and we're going to read verse 8 out loud together. So if you're home or you're listening or if you're here uh, listening in the room, let's read it out loud together. Ready? Go. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And what I want you to notice there is that Paul is actually drawing attention to the way that Jesus died. He died on a cross. And so this is what I want us to think about. This is what I want us to focus on. I want to talk about the cross. It's the single most universally recognized religious symbol in all the world. And here at Community of Hope, we'll often remind everyone that our faith, the Christian faith, didn't begin as an idea, didn't begin in a a book, didn't begin by saying it began around an event. And the event is the empty tomb. Uh, Christianity began, the early followers of Christ were referred to as followers in the way. And what, what, what historians believe was saying, on the, the way was formed around a group of people that, that came to the conclusion, some even bear witness to it, as though they saw it, that Jesus rose physically from the dead. So I want to be very clear about that. You can, you can visit churches today and hear all kinds of weird things. I want to make sure you know where our church stands. We believe Jesus Christ rose physically from the dead. Amen. And so this is a really important uh, idea. And so uh, we know that the Christian began with an event, 
but uh, an empty tomb. And in two weeks from now, billions of people are going to come together. We're all going to celebrate that. But, but right before that event, there was another event. And that event was the crucifixion on a cross. And Paul is bringing particular attention to it when he says, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He's like scoring an exclamation point around it. Now, sort of interesting to think about this. In the ancient world, there were three examples uh, of corporal punishment that Rome would inflict on on its victims, on, 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 on those who rebelled against the Pax Romana, the, the power of Rome. Uh, there was the guillotine, which was they would cut your head off. And uh, I, I was preaching somewhere recently, and I was talking about, I talked about that, and I said, you know, once and done. And then I saw people kind of wince, and I thought maybe I shouldn't say, you know, once and done, which I just said again, once and done, right? There's like the guillotine. Then the second way, they would burn people at the stake, but the third way was crucifixion, uh, on a cross, and it was, it was thought of to be the most painful, the most excruciating, the most shame-filled uh, way that Rome would exercise corporal punishment over its victims. Uh, it was meant to cause pain. It was meant to cause shame, and it was reserved for people that they felt like were especially egregious. And so, and here's what I want you to understand. Why are you saying this, Pastor? Because, because of this. It was the lowest form. It was the, it was the bottom of the barrel in terms of the way you could die back then. So what I want you to think about that, that really sets up everything in motion that I want to say this morning is Jesus ascended from the highest place and he descended to the lowest place for you and for me. And I don't want us to, to escape this, you know. Uh, it's a weird thing to think of that the symbol of our faith, listen to this, is a humiliating, excruciating symbol of corporal punishment by, used by ancient Roman world. And everything we've come to understand about our faith is somehow tethered to this event. I don't want the image to be lost on us. It would be like this. If Jesus were to, uh, to you know, if he were to have come during our day, and we exercise corporal punishment. Think about in the future, people wearing a symbol of corporal punishment, modern corporal punishment around their neck, maybe a, a, a syringe for lethal injection or, or an electric chair. I, horrifying, right? This is what I want. I, I want us to never get away from this because here's the thing. Here's what I know. We get used to this stuff. We get used to it. Many of you know the story I, I, I've told um, before, uh, I think that really bears witness right now. I remember, you know, I, I felt a calling as a young man to go into ministry, and I was going in one direction of my life. I felt like God just kind of blew in, you know, the, the wind and, and just, just transformed my life, and I, I wanted to give my life to Christ, and I wanted to serve him in, in ministry. I remember telling my parents this, and they, they just applauded that and embraced that. I, was, I remember going to share that, not sure what they were going to say, you know, kind of a thing. And I remember, you know, I, I left everything. I went to seminary. I moved to Kentucky. I went to school, and I attend my first class. And it's taught by the most venerable professor of the day. And he, he shows up right on cue at 1 o'clock. I'll never forget. It was an introduction, a pastoral ministry class. And he comes in, and he surveys the class. He looks over the class. 
And he just says, I want everybody who surrendered their life to full-time Christian service. Would you please raise your hand? I, man, I raised my hand. Looking around like I got my hand up. I don't know what y'all are doing. And, and then he said, I want you to know that if you said yes to full-time Christian service, he said, you've increased by 50% the likelihood you go to hell when you die. And I remember putting my hand down. <laughs> like, uh, okay, what's going on? And then he went on to explain. Here's what he said. Some of you heard me say this. He said, you know what? Here's what I want to remind you. Right at the beginning, first class you've ever had in Christian ministry, you're going to touch sacred things your whole life. And when you touch sacred things a lot, you get used to touching sacred things a lot. Don't ever get used to touching sacred things. Something will dull. I'm, I'm never forget it. Something will dull and die in your spirit. Could I say the same thing about our, our church and about this experience? We can plot in here, seven, you know, nine o'clock, ten thirty, wear a mask, sing a few songs, you know, preacher comes up. You can be thinking of him going, man, throw me, give me your best shot, go out unchanged. That's not the deal. And I don't want us to lose the impact of what we're talking about right now. And Paul is really challenging us in this moment. It's a sign of what God was willing to do for us. Listen to this. And it's a sign of how far Jesus was willing to descend for you and me. How far was he willing to go? All the way. And we're addicted, you know, it, it just shows that the, a reversal of the natural order of things because we're, we're addicted to up, aren't we? I was reading, one author says it this way, listen, he says, we rise against gravity, the odds, the crowd, whatever happens to get in our way. We ascend toward money, fame, spotlight, power, comfort, pleasure. And from the world's perspective, it's the only direction we go. Just as a compass needle points north, a human needle points up, and each heart is built a mechanism that craves self-promotion, craves advancement, craves the climbing of ego. And the writer goes on to say, and so Philippians chapter 2 may be the most counter-cultural chapter in the entire Bible. And we're addicted to up. A couple years ago, I don't know if you guys remember this, there was a movie that came out. And I knew the minute I saw it, I wanted to go see it. And Beth said, I'm not going to see that. And it was a movie called Free Solo. I want to show you the picture. I don't know if you guys saw this. It was a movie about a guy by the name of Alex Honnold. And the movie's a story about how he ascended, listen to this, to the top of El Capitan in Yosemite National Park without any ropes, without any safety gear, without any, any belay to another person. And he went from the ground to the top of El Capitan in three hours and 56 minutes. Here's a picture of him doing it. I mean, look at that. Right? I, that, yeah. Yes to that. And I'm telling you, when we, I went to see this movie with my friend. When the movie was over and the lights came up, we were sitting in each other's laps. We were like horrified by this thing, right? It was so scary to us. And we're, we're addicted to up. It's sort of interesting. I was talking to Kathy uh, Copan this week, and we were talking about, I'll show you another picture. This is Sir Edmund Hillary. And uh, Sir Edmund Hillary is the first recorded person along uh, with a Sherpa by the name of Tenzing Norgay to reach the summit of Mount Everest at 11.30 a.m., May 29th, 1953, 29,035 feet. It's the highest place on earth, okay? It's where planes fly. 
And uh, interesting thing, the very first thing that uh, Sir Edmund Hillary did when he got to the summit of Mount Everest, he put a cross there. And it turns out, I don't know if you know this, turns out that's a thing. Uh, it's called, actually, it's called summit crossing. It's called, uh, these are called summit crosses. And um, here's what they say about this. The tra- tradition of erecting crosses at mountain summits or passes dates back at least to the 4th century. The earliest known cross on a higher mountain peak in the Christian context was, we believe, on the land, uh, on the island of Cyprus, where Helena, the mother of Roman Emperor Constantine, who professed Christian faith, found a cross in Jerusalem in AD 327, brought it back to Cyprus, and had it placed on the top of Mount Olympus. And that's interesting. In fact, here's a picture of our friend Vic Copan uh, at the summit of uh, a mountain in Austria. And here's a picture of Vic Copan uh, with Alex Honnold doing free soloing. I think we have that too. Come on now. Come on. All right. We're addicted, I think, in our culture to up. And Jesus, through the power of the cross, started at the highest place and went all the way to the lowest place. And this is really important. Um, sometimes when I talk to people about this part of our Christian history, people don't understand it. And so for a few moments, what I want to do, I, I said, I want to put an easel up here and I'm going to, I want to scratch out for you why I think this is so powerful that we need to understand. And I'm just going to do something. Maybe you've seen it. If you haven't seen it, I commend it to you. Sometimes when I meet with people and they say, would you explain to me your understanding of the Christian faith? I will draw this. So I commend this to you as a little exercise. Um, this is the way that I, I often think about it. Kind of begins this way. And, uh, this is, this is, this is my idea about it. Often, when we think of our world, we long for our world to be filled with love, to be filled with justice, to be filled with compassion. These are the things I think we'd all agree to. We aspire toward these things. Okay, but but here's what I here's what I would also say about us. Many of us feel the tension about aspiring toward these things because deep inside of us, there's almost a compulsion sometimes to live beneath what we aspire to. How many would say that's true? Right? Come on. And uh, the Bible calls that 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 compulsion, that inner feeling. It it calls that that stuff evil. And it calls that stuff, uh, even, even more so, the Bible refers to it as sin. And um, a lot of times when we talk about sin, uh, we only think of it in, in terms of flat, one-dimensional ways. A lot of us, when we think about sin, listen to me, please, uh, we have kind of a I don't know, an immature way that we think about it. Theologian N.T. Wright says this. Listen to this. I think it's very powerful. He says, our problem here is that particularly since the 19th century, often when we hear the word sin, we only think of it in a purely moralistic sense. It's this idea that God has made all of the fuzzy rules to stop us from having fun. We can't help it. We break some of the rules. He gets mad at us, and we're guilty. And he goes, that's how often 
we learn, and he said, particularly young people learn it this way, and he goes, we just never grow up from that. But he said, actually, sin is a collection of all the evil in the world that all of us in large and small ways have contributed to. And, and, and when we think about sin, there's usually two dynamics of it. There's the actual offense. So if I were to steal something from somebody, say, there's the offense of me taking something from you that doesn't belong to me, and there's an offense in that. But then I think you would agree that beyond that then, right, it creates an environment now within our relationship that's not good. There's distance. We feel it. It's messy. It's shame-filled. There's tension. This is all the, the inner workings of sin, and we all have it. Uh, in large and small ways, we've all contributed to it. In fact, I want to show you a picture. This is a, this is a barge called, uh, named Mabro. This is, uh, I want to tell you about this. This is uh, 3,100 tons of, is there a problem? Okay. We're going to change. Time out. Everett, good, better, great, okay. Um, let me explain what this is. This is Mabro. This is um, 3,100 tons of garbage coming out of New York, okay? Still garbage coming out of New York, but... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Send, send your note to Trevor at communityofhope.org. Okay. Um, let, me, let me show you this. Okay, uh, and and it was coming out of New York, and and so New York didn't know what to do with it, and so they tried to send it to five other states. Every state said no. They tried to go to two foreign countries, and the foreign countries said no. And so eventually, eventually, it went back to New York. New York, New York took took care of it. This was in 1987. But here's the interesting thing. The interesting thing to know about the story is that what it did, as much as everyone tried to make it New York's fault. All it did was underscore the national problem at the time with how we handle our garbage. Get the point? We're all trying to figure out how to handle our garbage. And we all have this problem. Uh, I remember that, you know, Paul, we're learning from today, Paul wrote in Romans 7, he said, why is it the very thing that I want to do, I can't seem to do? Why is it, he said, that the thing I most want to do, I can't do, and the thing that I don't want to do, I keep on doing? Anybody identify? Yeah. And we all have this problem. Romans 3.23 says it this way, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it creates this interesting dynamic because, watch this, we have God who is perfect, who is holy, who is loving, who is good. And we are, as humanity... We're sinful, we're broken, and at our best, we're conflicted about it all. And there's a dynamic that's going on, and we feel that dynamic. Now, because God is good, we might look at this and we might go, God, you, you ought to figure out a way to get rid of all the badness in the world uh, and you, you should figure that out. But, but here's what we all would have to acknowledge. We all have that badness within us. 
And so if God is going to get rid of the badness in the world, he would like have to get rid of us. See that? But God figured in his goodness, did figure out a way to get rid of the badness and not get rid of us. And in the Old Testament, you'll notice there was all this animal sacrifices. We often talk about that whenever we have communion. And the animal sacrifices, what happened was God, God allowed animals to become like a substitute for us. And, and, and the priest would put our sin on the animal and sacrifice the animal. But now watch what happens because of what I said earlier. And that worked for a while. But then we got callous with it. We were touching sacred things all the time. And we would just touch sacred things. We'd take our animals for sacrifice, and we'd go on and do whatever we darn well please. And so God said, this isn't working. i, I got to come up with another way. And so the message of the cross is, God figured out another way to do it, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send myself. And so the Bible says that in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, this is what it says. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says this. For there was one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people, which sounds something like Jesus said one time when he said he came to serve and give his life as a ransom. And then what I love in the, in the Living Bible translation says it this way. It says, watch this. It says, it's though God is on one side and all of the people are on the other side and Christ Jesus himself, man, is between them to bring them together, giving himself for all humankind. And so God has created a way for a sinful, broken, conflicted humanity to find its way to a perfect, holy, loving God. And how did it happen? It happened with a cross. And, and I got to be honest with you all, I feel like if we really sort of took a moment to think about this, we'd sing louder. This week, uh, for me, moment of confession, a heavy week. Uh, we began the week with my wife's really good friend, who was her roommate in college, dying of cancer. And on uh, middle of the week, we learned of a, a precious woman, a young woman who, when she came here to PBA uh, to attend school, she connected with Community of Hope, served in our Kids of Hope uh, ministry. And this past week on Wednesday, uh, Kayla was um, killed in a car wreck, at wreck outside Bartow. She was 23. And then on our East Campus, we had a dedicated servant, a man by the name of Rick Holtkamp, who passed away from cancer. And um, it was just heavy, heavy. 
And uh, whenever, whenever I think about the power of the cross, um, I, I'm reminded that, that through the work of what Jesus has done for us, he's redeeming all of humankind. He's taking what's broken and he's making it right. And so whenever we look at things in the world that aren't right, that are bad, that are wrong, that cause pain, that cause destruction, whenever we see loss and death, we are reminded in the power of Christ that um, that's not the last word. Some of us are here this morning. We think about loved ones. Their passing is not the last word. Aren't we grateful for that? And I think if we understood that, we'd, we'd sing louder, you know, because we have this God who has stepped this all the way down to create a space to remove what's wrong and broken and replace it with what is right and what is good. And I need it. And you do too. Lord, I thank you this morning that by the power of the cross, uh, you will have the last word. And so, God, I, I just pray that more and more and more and more we would come to deeper and fresher understanding of what you've accomplished. And we might be what one historian said in moments like this, that we would almost have a mini Easter celebration every seven days when the body of Christ comes together and just remembers, God, that all of what is wrong and broken, you are working and have worked to make it better and will make it right. And I thank you for that, Lord. I pray for anybody listening this morning uh, to me here or online, if, if they've never yet asked for the work, the finished work of the cross to take care of the sin debt they have in their lives, that this would be a moment, this would be a space where we would invite you into our heart. We would say, Lord, once again, forgive me of my sin. Once again, renew your spirit in my life that I might be a witness of your goodness and of your grace. And that, Lord, you would give us the power to continue these things, we pray in the name of Jesus, mighty name, and everyone said, amen.